0: I
1: spent all this time preparing a sermon. Uh, we want to preach it. One of the things, if um, just to remind you, you know, we have two campuses. The church, you can put up my slide on the there we go, uh, and and Vandalia and they're they're already they're doing worship right now, and. Uh, just to remind you, and for those of you may be new, uh, we rotate speakers, so I'm here one Sunday down there, uh, the next Sunday, and um, we have actually about, 10, I think, 11 or 12 people total that are in this rotation. Uh, and what that means is that uh, it creates a different atmosphere, you're not always hearing the same a person speaking, which is an important part of church, and uh, having a rotation of speakers has benefits so as well, and that we hear from different people and you get a different perspective, and, and you hear the same truth, we're talking on the same topics, but getting it from other people's perspectives. And one of the challenges is to build a church, it's actually easier to have the same speaker every Sunday. Because people make a connection with the speaker and often people come to a church because they like the speaker. And it, it really helps to have, if you, if, you, if you study church growth, the same worship leader every Sunday. Because the same thing happens. Some people will come just because they like a worship leader, uh, even if they don't like the pastor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know?
1: But we change it up here. And, and the reason, I, just so you know, you know, we have chosen, we believe that God's told us to do church differently. Because our vision is to raise up and reproduce leaders, right? And so we want uh, to train many worship leaders, which means having different people lead worship. And we want to train many preachers, and so we're rotating. So that's, that's a very important part of the vision. And understanding this... Uh, will help you not only figure out why we do it that way, but buy into it, that you're part of a church that's about reproducing. My goal and vision, what God's laid on my heart, is to plant many churches. Uh, Because, um, you know, someone uh, said, I just heard this recently, someone was going to start a church, I forget in what city, they were going to start a church in. It was a big city, and... uh, um, you know, every every city has lots of churches. And, but someone had a vision to go planning a church. And, and someone else was in this conversation with John Arnott, who's the head of our association. And, and someone said, oh, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, let's say it's London, England. You know, London has plenty of churches. And, and uh, John was like, oh, really? I hadn't heard that everyone was saved in London. <laughs> you know, it's just like... Until everyone is saved and actively uh, plugged into a local congregation and growing and and using their gifts, we need to keep planting churches and growing churches, right? And we got a long way to go on Kalamazoo, right? And Southwest Michigan, so that's what we're all about. Well, we are talking through our core values, uh, the fire values, and we're in the middle of intimacy, uh, a quarter on intimacy, and and this month we're talking about intimacy with God. And I just want to kind of draw you in, I don't know what your week has been like, I've had a very busy week, and, and the last couple of days I've, I've actually felt kind of disconnected, I'm kind of uh, physically kind of recovering from something, I don't even know, uh, just weariness or uh, illness, and you know, there's stuff in that life happens, and so it's, it's easy to get disconnected, and th- and maybe you haven't felt God this morning, maybe you felt God in the, in the service this morning, whether you feel Him or not, God is present, and... And why we're talking about intimacy is maybe you're not feeling it, but th- we want to explain uh, how it works so that you have a target. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, that this is an important aspect of, of, of being a, a Christian and, and intimacy with God is kind of like really kind of a deep issue, and so we want to talk. What what does that mean? What does it mean to be intimate with God? Uh, the word intimacy, believe it or not, is not in the Bible. If you do a, a search in most translations, I think it's in it's in the uh, Message, but it's that, that English word is not. But the The idea of intimacy is really what the whole Bible is about, even though it doesn't use our current uh, English word. And and the word intimacy means the condition of being intimate, close association and familiarity, relating to one's deepest nature. What do you think? You think the Bible is about our deepest nature? Yeah! Yeah! I mean, it's about how God created us and redeemed us. And and it's, it's about what's essential, what's innermost, and personal. And so, intimacy is, is, is the subject, really, of the whole Bible. From Genesis to Revelation. And we value intimacy in this church and, and we see that it is a vital aspect of, a, of the Christian faith because Christianity was never meant just to be an outward religious system where you just obey rules or regulations. Um, and we see this in Jesus' life. Jesus called the disciples, Matthew and, and uh, John and Andrew and Peter. He said, follow me. Follow me. Close your eyes for a minute and picture yourself at work. And if you if you if you work at home as a mom, or if you're uh, disabled and you and you're just your work is taking care of your life, picture yourself there. And just in your spiritual mind, just see Jesus walking up. He can be dressed whatever. Maybe he's dressed two thousand years old, you know, or maybe he's wearing. But it's Jesus, and you look up and you see Jesus. And you just know in your heart, wow, it's Jesus. Jesus is appearing to me. Right here, right now. Uh, And you look and make sure your boss isn't looking. And Jesus is standing there and He says to you, follow me. Follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. All right, You can open your eyes. That's the experience we're all supposed to have. It's a call to a personal, intimate, close relationship with Jesus Christ were just like the early disciples had to leave what they were doing and their life was different from that moment on. Jesus calls each one of us into that type of relationship. Um, and it's a relationship not only with Jesus. But Here's the, here's the great part. <laughs> Maybe not so great. I don't know. You can decide, but it's with all the other disciples, right? When Jesus called Peter, he showed up. and Matthew was there, and 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 John and Andrew, right? Yeah, Matthew was a tax collector. And Peter was a fisherman. They didn't like each other. One was a business owner. One was a tax collector. All right. And they had to do it together. They followed Jesus together. So it's intimacy with God and with one another. But we want to look at a very important passage in Scripture. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed right before he was arrested and then crucified. And so he's praying to the Father. He says, I do not pray for these alone, referring to the disciples that were with him in the garden, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know who, who that refers to? Yes. Yeah, you. Wow. So Jesus is praying for us that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Wow, this is a very, very powerful verse. I just encourage you to meditate on it, study it, dig into it. Because Jesus, there's a lot communicated here. And Jesus is extending the idea of intimacy really to an extreme. This is one of these passages in Scripture that you you read over it and you go, well, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) But if you sat and thought about it, for a while you have to ask what in the world is Jesus talking about? As you Father are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us. That's intense. He's praying that all Christians that means you and me would be as one as unified as together as he and the Father are. Has God and the Son pretty connected? All <laughs> right? Do they ever do, do they ever have a, a Trinity split?
0: <laughs> <laughs> do
1: they leave church complaining about you know one was singing off key.
0: That's <laughs> 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 crazy, right?
1: That's crazy, but what's really crazy is that we're supposed to reflect that. Alright? With God and with one another. Yes, This is Jesus' prayer. I I believe that Jesus' prayer is going to be answered. So the questions that should come to mind is how can a billion... There's two, there's two billion probably closer to 3 billion but we know for a certainty there's at least 2 billion Christians alive today 178,000 got saved today did you hear that? 178,000 got saved yesterday I say the average the, best people, the people who study this the best information is approximately 178,000 people every day are, getting, are coming into relationship with Jesus Christ yeah Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, But we're all to be one. How can all of them be one with the Father and one with Jesus and one with one another? And what does that really look like? Um, Jesus adds to this that they may be perfect in one. So he includes the idea uh, that in this unity, in this deep intimacy with God and with one another, we would come to the place of being perfect. Now, I want you to not think of the word perfect in the sense of how it's usually used uh, in our day of perfectionism. As in, without any trouble or mistake or, um, you know, it's kind of a uptight perfectionism. It's not what it means. It means to be complete. It means to, to not be lacking anything. That we're not lacking anything... When we're in perfect unity and in intimacy with God, with the Father, with Jesus, and with one another. All right? It means to literally to accomplish. In other words, whatever it is that uh, the church, Christianity, and each Christian individually has been assigned by God to accomplish, that accomplishment is, is attained through this intimacy. That makes it pretty important, doesn't it? It's no longer just something we have to do. It's all about relationship. Because relationship is the means through which we are saved, right? And that the world is saved, right? And so that makes relationships with one another as well as with God what humanity, what what your life is really all about. It means uh, consummate in character now so how do you become really holy? become intimate with Jesus to the point where Jesus is in you to the same measure that the Father was in Jesus and if Jesus is in you and the Father is in Jesus then the Father is in you <laughs> And it happens because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, which, and the love of God is shed abroad into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, says in Romans. And so God's love enables us to love one another. All right? It means perfect, means to be finished, full. Uh, the idea of mature and not immature. That's what the word uh, uh, means. And so Jesus was praying for something far greater than theological agreement. You know, we can be intimately. Uh, and I uh, uh, love intimately other believers and have theological differences. Serious, significant theological differences. There's a certain point at which it's no longer another believer. <laughs> you know, there are certain uh, truths that are immovable. Jesus Christ is this God the Son. That He died on the cross uh, with a payment for our sin. That He rose again. You know, and there's others, but underneath of those, there's vast differences. Most of them are differences because of language <laughs> uh, and and culture and and, and history. Uh, but if if we're unified in our relationship, then it's not about the theological academic agreement to facts. It's about a relationship of unity that expresses the unity of the Trinity. Right, the love that's between the father and the son. It's not just about sociological integration and equality. In other words, that, okay, we share equally and 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 and, and a sociological integration of that there isn't any uh, classes or anything like that. It goes way beyond that. It, it touches those things, but it goes beyond that because what Jesus is praying for is intimacy, intimacy. A deep, extreme, extravagant intimacy with Him, with the Father, and with another. Well, the main thing I want to uh, kind of bring to your attention is is that this is not a new idea. Jesus was not introducing something new to uh, uh, the faith or to the people He was speaking to. But rather, a really ancient and actually very fundamental idea of that's found in the basis of the Old Covenant. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4-6. through 6. We're just going to read that. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. And many of you are familiar with that yeah, as the, the great commandment. <laughs> but it was uh, actually, it's called the Shema Israel, or just the Shema and if you talk to anyone that studied Judaism or if you talk to a practicing Jew, they know this statement. All right? uh, uh, it's the first two words in that section of, of the Scripture and it's considered the creed. You know how we read the Nicene Creed, which is a statement of our beliefs? Well, this would be the creed of Israel. It sums up the essence of Judaism. Uh, and it was a centerpiece in, and still in Jesus' day, And all the way back to the prophets and the kings, all through that, all the way up to today, in their morning services, and their prayer services, this is spoken. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. It's taught to the children. They say it every night before they go to bed. Uh, most uh, traditional Orthodox Jews will—it'll be the first words that come out of their mouth in the morning, and the last words that they speak before they go to sleep. All right. So this, the Shema, is is central to the Jewish faith, going back thousands of years. And Jesus draws on the ideas of this prayer. Into, into what he is introducing. And I want to tie the two together. So in the Shema, the identity of God, who God is, is declared, and the response of love is called out. First we see God's identity. The Lord, which is God's, um, in this phrase, it's Yahweh, our God, Elohim, and I'll explain these words... The Lord is one, Yahweh, and that's how we best pronounce it. We don't actually know because um, the Hebrew didn't use vowels, you know. <laughs> so, you know, uh, the actual pronunciation is, is somewhat a question, and it's often translated Jehovah, and uh, and so Jehovah is one way people pronounce it, um, but it's it's a proper name. Okay? It's like Cameron is a proper name. Pastor is a title. Right? Mm-hmm. right. Uh, father is a title. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, titles can be more intimate than than names. Uh, my kids generally don't call me Cameron. When they do, it's kind of cute. <laughs>
0: right.
1: But when they come up and say, Hey, Dad. Well, there's only certain people that can call me Dad.
0: <laughs>
1: but everyone calls me Cameron. All right? So never think that calling God by his title Father is less intimate than his personal name yeah. All right? but this is his personal name you know it's kind of interesting isn't it uh, by the way it's not the name of the Father There's, many people misunderstand this it's the name of the Trinity okay and so we know the personal, the, the personal name of the Son what's the personal name of the Son what's the personal name of the Holy Spirit no, that's title. Ruach? No, Ruach means wind. Ruach is the Hebrew word for wind. And so if, if, if you read in the Old Testament and said it was a wind that uh, it walked out and a wind blew through the valley, it's Ruach. We don't know the personal name of the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, that's a great question. <laughs> Just testing you. So,
1: and if the Father has a personal name, we don't know that. But Yahweh refers to the Trinity. Okay. Okay? Um, but our God is just a generic name for gods. All right? And so when it talks about heathen gods in the Old Testament, it uses the word Elohim. Okay? And when they talk about Yahweh, it uses the word Elohim. What's really interesting is Elohim is plural. The word itself is a plural word. So when it says Yahweh, singular God, is our Elohim, plural, the Yahweh is one. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) He just slips that in.
1: (laughs) And all the Jews proclaim it for thousands of years, and then we get a bigger... Understand of it, of understanding of it in the New Testament. But it's part of its mystery. One means one. It's actually the word for one. The number one. It also means one and alone or unique. Uh, singular. <clears throat> so there's a few important truths in this very significant verse uh, is that there's only one God. Okay, now this is radical. When Abraham proposed the idea that there's one God, and he was like the sole voice declaring monotheism over what the whole world believed that there was a multitude of gods and the gods were at war. And Abraham gets this understanding uh, that it's a single god. Of course, not just Abraham, he learned it and it was carried through all the way from Adam and Eve. But the world had lost the understanding of that there's one true god. And so, uh, the old covenant... It's really important that the battle being fought was a battle between a singular God versus a plurality of God. And the message throughout the whole Old Covenant is that Yahweh is God Almighty above all other supposed gods. (coughs) And uh, He is the only true uh, supreme being. Yet in this, and it's a significant part of the truth, within this unique, singular, unified God, there is this plurality. There's, there's the reference that Yahweh is Elohim. And this is the basis for the understanding of the New Testament under, uh, revelation of the Trinity. Uh, and, and, and some people may not know, but the, the word Trinity was actually... A, coined by an African who lived a Berber who lived in probably in, in northern Africa um, and uh, a scholar in the New Testament was was trying to get the the teaching this teaching about God the Son God the Father God the Holy Spirit and this idea that they're all one God but they reveal themselves in three separate persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, this is so important because it helps us understand the nature of God and love. Right? Because the rest of that verse was, this is my identity, and the response is to love me with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? Uh, So, love requires relationship. It it is relationship. And if God didn't have a, another aspect of his being, there couldn't really be true love. All right? Good. And so... Uh, love requires relationship would or could the supreme being the almighty God require of his creation something he himself did not or could not possess which is being loving someone other than yourself does that make sense? alright and so this demand you know and this is where um, Christianity differs significantly from Islam alright is that uh, you know uh, Allah is one uh, but there's no trinity it's, it's a blasphemy to suggest it okay? but, but it's a misunderstanding that God is one but in that oneness there is perfect love and He requires love uh, from His creations I uh, <clears throat> already covered that point click, click, click the oneness of God God's unity and utter union uh, of the God is an expression of the eternal love that exists within Yahweh. All right, Um, uh, so Uh, uh, His oneness is is the revelation of His character. Uh, uh, Jesus says it this way: reading John chapter ten, "I and my Father are one." That's how Jesus saw his relationship with the Father. There's no separation. And it was because of that that the Jews took up stones and tried to kill him. And eventually crucified him. And so the Jews didn't get this idea even though they said it every morning and every night. It was the most important saying in the Old Covenant. So you can understand words and repeat words but not understand the meaning that God's trying to communicate. All right? So we need, to, we need to seek out the meaning uh, and integrate it into our lives. So this command then that flows from God's identity of love uh, is a command that flows from His nature. First John says, we, know, uh, we have known and believed that the love that God has for us, God is love. So this is the very statement, God is love. Requires that within the Godhead there is a capacity to to be get totally given in, uh, in a relationship to another, and so you have the Father loving on the Son, the Son loving on the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit loving on the Son, Holy Spirit loving on the Father, and in this there's this there's this love that's uh, that's perfect and complete, and God calls us into that. Uh, he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Same idea, John's talking about, that Jesus is talking about, that was also found in the Shema, uh, the ancient saying of the Hebrews. <clears throat> and also later in John it says, we love Him because He first loved us. God's nature of love is the source of our love, and we experience love because we are His creations. I thought I was going to get through this quickly, and I'm way behind, Alright? <clears throat> All right, so this is the uh, this this command to love is is the fulfillment. Jesus is actually uh, read that uh, God's nature of love reproduced in him, in us, toward him and toward one another. Okay, Jesus's prayer being answered. It's actually the fulfillment of that ancient prayer of uh, the first and great commandment of the Shema. All right. The prayer that Israel has been praying for centuries is fulfilled in this uh, prayer that Jesus is praying and it's, it's fulfilled in us when we when we live it, when we experience this level of intimacy uh, that we would be one uh, just as He and the Father is one. So, he's extending this idea of um, the Shema from just an expression of faith, expression of what we believe toward God, to a participation that we can, we actually are called to live in and to experience with God and with one another. Uh, the oneness of God should be personally experienced by you. How? I don't know. That's going to look different for you than me. But that's your objective. That's what Jesus is praying for you. That's what Christianity is really all about. And when do you stop pursuing that? Never. Yeah. When you get to heaven, (laughs) you get to heaven in that pursuit. It's that pursuit that'll lead you to heaven. All right. Uh, And the same pursuit with Him is is uh, uh, carried over to our relationship with. Um, our brothers and sisters And it's interesting, in the uh, Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that verse is translated this way. Jesus quotes it in Mark. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And breaks it up into four categories. And it's interesting that currently intimacy is defined in four categories. Emotional intimacy, that would be with all of our heart. Uh, Experiential intimacy, and that means uh, that you share your life with others and so that would be a, like our soulish stuff everything that falls in the category of psychology and uh, interpersonal relationships that's your soul and so your experience of living life with another so you live life with God and live life with one another emotional your, your passions your uh, anger uh, uh, desire joy all of that cognitive your intellectual intimacy uh, which is all your Uh, mind and then your physical intimacy which is all your strength I love it That thousands of years ago, God's been calling that love, intimacy, are these four things, and psychologists, secular psychologists, uh, come up and say, well, this is the best uh, definition of intimacy. It's spoken in the four categories. I'm like, wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So just as God's love is the source of our love for Him and for one another, God's unity, God's oneness, is the source of how we get along. You know, unity is basically getting along. Mm -hmm. You know, with one another. <laughs> Let's despiritualize it. <laughs> so Jesus, His prayer that you be one like the Father is that the character of God as seen in the Trinity is reproduced in us. Well, there's one other image I want to get to. So that talks about this same idea uh, uh, and it's in Ephesians chapter 5 it's the scriptures say as man leaves the father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one he's talking about marriage Paul was writing to the Ephesian church in the Ephesus talking about marriage but he says this it's interesting he squeezes this in. he says this is a great mystery in other words marriage is a mystery <laughs> you know
0: <Amen. laughs> i still
1: trying to figure it out All right? but the then he goes on but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one yeah. alright so if I was at a, a, a board up here and I drew an illustration to illustrate something what's more important if I illustrated uh, the relationship between a, a, a mother and a father through some drawing would the illustration be more important or would the idea of, of the relationship between a mother and father be more important The idea, idea, right? Not the illustration. Now, as important as the illustration of marriage is, more important is the reality that that illustration is supposed to teach us about. And that is intimacy with God. That you are called into a relationship of intimacy that actually is supposed to go far deeper than what we experience in marriage. And marriage is the... Most intimate of relationships a, a, a person is to have right. while alive, right? But Paul says, and the Bible says, well, this is just the illustration. This is the flannel graph representation, <laughs> okay? So that we can learn. Okay. Oh, and you know what? If you have, if you have difficulty relating with your, with your spouse because they're different than you, how many have difficulty relating with their spouse because they're different than you? <laughs> oh, come
0: on. <laughs> It's part of the fun. how many are
1: afraid to put, raise your hand <laughs>
0: <coughs> so
1: listen let me give you a hint God's way different than you
0: yeah.
1: alright you have a hard time understanding your spouse uh-huh. try to understand the Trinity
0: <laughs> okay
1: <clears throat> but we're supposed to be intimate and unified and share all of this with him um, now the one reason that we can do that is because God is not broken And we're broken. Alright? And so, we have two broken people. It's difficult to be intimate. But when we're joined with Christ, we come into an intimacy where He takes our brokenness and puts us back together again and teaches us how to love and teaches us how to get along. And Aaron's going to
0: close this. So, please welcome Aaron.